Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. When you love someone, how do you show them that you love them? We all have different ways of doing that, and people much smarter than me have written books about it. In fact, Gary Chapman wrote the book called The Five Love Languages. You may have heard of it, that there's different ways that we give and receive love. He wrote it down in a book, and people have uh, studied it. And usually when I do premarital counseling with a couple, I'll talk to them about that. And a lot of times people already know their love language because they're, they're so familiar with Gary Chapman's stuff. You can Google it later if you want. There's quizzes you can take to find out what love language you are. But a lot of people know their love language, and they're kind of fuzzy on what the other ones are. So if you, if you know it or you don't know it, um, let me just maybe refresh us all here and, and tell you, here, here are the five love languages. These are the ways that we give and receive love. Number one is quality time. Some people love feels like you're spending quality time with me. We're talking. We're connecting. Um, my wife calls it couch time. You know, we sit on the couch and we look at each other face to face and we talk and we talk about our lives and we, we sort of get to know each other better. That is quality time. That is a way, that feels like love to, to people. Um, another type of love that we, that we show or receive is words of affirmation. So, oh, you look great or you're wonderful or you did such a good job, like that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of people are, are very good at giving that. You know, they, they, they shower, they flatter or whatever. They just shower people with their words. And, so, and, and a lot of people love that. Oh, I love it when you say those nice things. So words of affirmation feels like love is one of the love languages. Um, number three is gifts, gift giving. Uh, for many people, they love to give and receive gifts. You know these people because this is their jam this time of year. Like, they're all about it. They're like, oh, you know, these are the people that are like, hey, I was at the store and I got this thing. I was thinking of you and I got this. And they hand you this thing and they want to see your surprise and excitement as you open the thing. Um, a lot of people, that, 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 is, that is their thing, gift giving. Um, another one is acts of service. For, for some people, the way you show love and the way you feel loved is when you serve or you, that person or when you serve me. Like so, um, when, when you, you know, vacuum or you took care of the dishes or you, hand, you took the trash out or you cleaned up the dog poop or whatever it is, like you did a thing for me and that feels like love. I, I, and I, I totally get this one, like when, when my wife, like if I'm, if I'm going to go on a trip somewhere and she'll like pack my luggage or something like that, just feels like, oh, you really like, you care for me and you're taking care of me. That feels like love. I get that. And then the, the last one is physical touch, um, pretty obvious. And, and, and in some ways, everybody, most everybody, I would say, likes physical touch. But there are people for whom, and I, I can see this even with my own children, where, where like when you're next to them, they want to put an arm on your shoulder or something like they want to be connected physically. That feels like love. Their physical touch uh, uh, people in the world. Now, usually when you look at that list, you could probably, even if you've not taken the quiz online, you could probably look at that list and go, oh, that, that one's me, and that one's, that one's my friend, that one's my sister, that one's my wife, that one's my boyfriend, whatever. Like, you can see where that kind of shakes out for people. Um, my experience is a lot of women claim their love language is quality time, and a lot of men claim theirs is physical touch. Um, I don't know if you dig if you if that maybe that is the case maybe those are skewed a little bit but if you dig deeper there's a lot of good stuff in there and it's good to know with relationships if what my wife wants is quality time and what I give her is a gift it doesn't it's a swing and a miss like it's nice hey I bought you this thing she's like I don't care I just wanted to be with you like it, it doesn't it doesn't quite work so it's good to know that it's about yourself and about the people that you're with 
And my experience has been that this stuff really rings true for people, that they go like, yeah, I, I get that. This is the way people give and receive love. It's almost as, as if these things are like biologically or genetically or chemically hardwired into us. We are wired up to give and receive love, almost maybe deeper than, than chemical or genetic. Maybe there's something like spiritual or at a soul level. We are wired to connect with other people, um, and God has designed us with a capacity to connect in various ways. Um, and, and so th- th- this can be a, a really powerful thing when you think about it. Well, I was thinking about these types of ways that people give and receive love, and then I thought this. What what would it be like for God to show love to us? Like, how can God love us when we as humanity receive love in such very different ways? Like, if God wanted to show up and show you that he loves you, he could show up in the exact way that you're wired up with, sure. But if he's trying to show the whole world, hey, I, I love you people, I love people, um, that's a tricky thing, right? Like, how can he do that and show up when we have such different ways that we receive love. Um, He's going to have to show up in a very unusual way. And in fact, what Scripture tells us is that's what he does. God shows up in a bit of an unusual way. He shows up in about the year 5 BC in the form of a baby, Jesus, in in a town called Bethlehem in the Middle East. And and that's very physical and very tangible. But God has shown up before that in, in the Scriptures and interacted with people. If you go back and look at Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth in the beginning of the Bible, and he puts people in there, and he breathes his spirit. The image of God is poured into a man and a woman named Adam and Eve, and and they're, they're his people. And God, before they sin and sort of blow the thing apart, wreck the relationship, uh, there's a very close relationship that they have with God. In fact, I noticed this as I was reading through it, Genesis 3. Listen to the way uh, it's described, Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know what I notice about this? Um, that is very physical and tangible when, when, when it's talking about it, Right? They heard the sound of God walking in the garden. I wonder what that sounds like. Does he have like a heavy footstep because he's, you know, so big? Or like, does he walk lightly, kind of stealth through there? They hear him walking. So all this, all this angst we feel about communicating with God. Oh, when I pray, I, sometimes I just feel like I'm talking to the walls. When I pray, I don't know if God hears me. Is God there? Does he care? Is he fair? These kind of things that we wonder about. Adam and Eve didn't have that. They hear him walking. There, there's something very physical about his presence there. And that's good. But then there's sin and the thing kind of blows apart and there's a rift in the relationship. And when God shows up to other people throughout the scripture, um, generally people are terrified. When God calls Abraham, we talked about it last week, God calls Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, I'm going to bless you, I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. That sounds great, but what I'm wondering is, what did the call of God sound like? Was it like uh, out, of the, out of the air? Was it in a dream? Was it like, Abraham, this is the Lord? You know, like we would expect, we would expect in the movies, right? Like, oh, this is intense, Where, where's that voice coming from? Was it like that? Because when you read through Abraham and what he experiences of God, God does communicate with him, but only about what's recorded for us, only about eight times in like 50 years. So if God only talks to you audibly, let's say, eight times in 50 years, that's not much. That's a lot of not hearing God talk is what that is. 
But that, that's Abraham's experience. It's, it's, it's intense. God shows up to Moses as a burning bush, but then later, Moses is leading the people through the, to the promised land through the desert, and he goes up on a mountaintop to connect with God, and he talks to God. God connects with him, and Moses does not get the full-on God. He gets just like a little piece of it, and when Moses comes down from the mountain, people can see Moses' face has been glowing. It's like glowing. He's like glowing because he's been in God's presence. The presence of God is overwhelming to mere humanity. You see it in Isaiah chapter 6. God calls the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah has this vision of God, and he falls down on his face. And, and what does he say in Isaiah chapter 6? He says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. His experience of being in God's presence is, oh my gosh, like I cuss too much. Or like my language, like I, I got to think about things that I've said. Like I am a man of unclean lips. I am not good in the presence of God. It is overwhelming. People are freaked out. And I always think of that because sometimes people are like, if I get to heaven, and use it, well, they don't say it like that because they're mad. People are like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going I'm to stand before God, and I got some questions he's going to need to answer. And I'm, and I'm always like, yeah, it doesn't really go that way, bro. Like, when you, like, historically, when people stand before God, it's not like, and he's going to answer to me. Like, that's not how it goes. People are terrified when they're in the presence of God his power and his might and all the um, his omnipresence, omniscience, and all these things, like you're overwhelmed by the creator of the universe and you a mere mortal or a small, uh, a small being standing before God. It's, it's a big deal. And I think about that because how, because you, you got to think like, okay, so if God does want to show up and show us that he loves us, that he cherishes us, that he cares for us, how is he going to do that in a way that's not overwhelming? Because he's, he's grand and, and we're, we're very small and it, and it could it could definitely overwhelm us. How can he show up in a way that we can understand? So what he does is he shows up as a baby in a town called Bethlehem, which is like a suburb of Jerusalem, like this little town outside Jerusalem, insignificant place. He shows up to a, a, a young couple, Mary and Joseph, who are poor, not to the wealthy. He doesn't show up in a palace in Rome. He shows up in a, in we call it a stable, but really... Um, Joseph and Mary were there to see Joseph's family because there was a census and you had to return to your ancestral home. So Joseph brings Mary to Bethlehem to his family. And when it came time to give birth, she probably gave birth in the family, like the basement, which is where you'd pull the animals in at night if it's too cold. There's sort of like this basement in the bottom of the house. That's where they gave birth. Uh, well, specifically where Mary gave birth. Uh, and so so that happens. and um, And so that's kind of the the nitty-gritty details of the Christmas story. When we, when we talk about it at Christmas, we re, mostly read Matthew and Luke. Those are the two authors that, that write about Joseph and Mary and the visitation of angels and shepherds and wise men and all that kind of stuff, all the things that you associate around Christmas. Matthew and Luke write. John, when John writes his gospel to talk about Jesus, he doesn't cover the ground Matthew and Luke already covered. John's the last gospel writer, and so he doesn't feel the need to rehash the shepherds and the angels. If those guys, if Matthew and Luke are telling you what happened and like how and when and where and all that, John comes along and says, here's why and here's what it means. So listen to the way when John wants to talk about Jesus, listen to the way he opens his book, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not made anything, was not anything made that was made. 
So when John starts, he says, in the beginning, those words, if you're Jewish, you know, you know what he's referring to because the Bible in Genesis 1 starts with, in the beginning, God created. And so John is hearkening back to that and going, okay, in the beginning, yes, that beginning, the beginning, the major beginning, the beginning of it all was, and he says, the word. Now, the word word in Greek is the word logos, um, and it is a word from which we get our word logic. Now, it's translated here as word, but it can also mean something like purpose or meaning or reason. So Greek philosophers in that day, and really in the history of the world, people have been trying to figure this out. They're sitting there going, what is the ultimate purpose and meaning in life? And they had a word for that. It's the word logos. If, if I could just discover the logos, the, the reason for our existence, um, if I could discover that, that would, that would solve everything. Now, we get our word logic comes from that. And you can kind of hear it in the word logic. If I said to you, let me explain the logic of this decision, really what I'm saying is, let me explain to you the, the, the meaning, the purpose, how it all fits together, how you, know, how you can kind of store it all in your head, how I reasoned it out. That's explaining the logic of something. Well, John comes along and says, in the beginning was the meaning. In the beginning was the purpose of the world. And that purpose is Jesus, and he created. And this is a shocking thing that he's saying because he's not only saying there really is a logos there really is an ultimate meaning to the world he's saying that ultimate meaning is a person it's not just a concept or an idea it's personal john 1 verse 14 this is about as christmasy as john gets he says this and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth this divine purpose, the meaning of the existence of the world, it became flesh. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus moves into the neighborhood. This is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It's not angels and shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph and all that. Yeah, those are the details, but what is it all about? It's about Jesus entering the world. God showing his love to us by entering in the world, walking on our soil and being with us, um, that, that God came down and chose to show his love to us. Now, so how does God in Jesus show his love towards us? Well, I actually think if you look at the five love languages, you see it there in, in what Jesus does. First of all, God shows his love to us in quality time. You can't do quality time from a distance. You can do face time from a distance, but... That's not satisfying long-term. It's different than quality time. To do quality time, you have to show up. I had someone tell me early on in ministry, they said, hey, when there's a funeral, you go to it. Like, you, you gotta just show up for the funeral. Because it's hard to say I care or it's hard to whatever from a distance. You gotta be there. And, and God shows up and does quality time on earth with us in the form of Jesus for 33 years. He gives us quality time. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing that he does. He enters our world. This is very different than the ancient idea of the gods. The gods live on a plane different than us where they have thunderbolts and lightning and all that kind of stuff. And then mere mortals live down here on earth and the soil and all that. And, and what we see in Jesus is God, God saying, no, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to show up and give you quality time in order to show you that I love you. So quality time is number one. Number two, God sending Jesus is a form of physical touch. Um, God does not show up just as a spirit. He's not just a voice coming out of the air. 
he's actually physically there. There's so many things that Jesus does that's very physical. Um, he heals people with a touch. At one point, he spit on some mud and, and spit on some dirt, made some mud out of it, and put it on someone's eye to heal them. It's kind of weird. Um, he breaks bread and passes it out to his disciples. It's very physical. He prays over and, and, and breaks bread and this bread and fish, and they feed thousands of people. There's all these very physical things. One time, someone touched Jesus, and she got a healing from him just by touching him, which is, which is a crazy thing. Uh, when Jesus is resurrected, he comes back and he meets with his apostles, and one of them is very skeptical, a guy named Thomas. He doesn't believe Jesus really came back from the dead. And when Jesus shows up, he goes to Thomas and he says, put your hands and, and touch where I was, where I was pierced, where, where the nails went through my wrist. Go ahead and touch it. This isn't a spirit. It's not a ghost. It's physical. It's real. So when God wants to show us that he loves us, he sends Jesus, who's physical, and, 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 and there's, there's, real, there's real connection there and real, real touch. Um, number three, God shows up in, in, in the form of Jesus with acts of, of service. At the Last Supper, Jesus gathers with his disciples, and there's no one there to wash feet. When you, when you ate a meal in that culture, you'd lay down, and like we would wash our hands like you would, you also would wash your feet because it's dirty and gross, and so usually you'd have some sort of servant there to wash everyone's feet. Well, there wasn't a servant there that night, and so Jesus takes the, the bowl and the towel, and he washes his disciples' feet, and when he does it, he tells them, this is an example for you that as I'm serving you, you need to serve one another which is a really powerful thing, the fact that he served them in this way uh, and then said that was an example. That's what we need to do. We need to do acts of service for one another. The Apostle Paul, later in Philippians 2, writes about Jesus, and this is what he says. He's encouraging the church. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Um, Jesus, when he comes, he comes with acts of service. He served people. And he could have easily shown up and been like, I'm God, you all need to recognize and serve me and worship me and bow down to me. And he doesn't do that. He serves uh, humanity. This is another way that God shows up and shows us his love as he serves us. Um, Another one is words of affirmation. Jesus used his words to uh, speak kindly, to heal. Sometimes he would challenge people, for sure, um, but, but he would definitely use his words to, to, to bring healing to people and, and to soothe them and, and to comfort them um, and, and affirm them. Listen to what, in Matthew 11, listen to what Jesus says about his cousin, John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, what's interesting about that, if you read it in context, is Jesus is not saying that to John the Baptist. John's not in the room when he says it. He's saying that to a different crowd of people, and he's saying, look, you know who's great? John's great. He's, he's uh, you know, among those born of women, there's no one's been greater than John the Baptist up until this point. So that's pretty high praise from Jesus. And if you look at the Love Language book, it would say, that um, the, the highest form of words of affirmation is not when you speak directly to someone and say, you're wonderful. It's when you speak about someone to someone else and you say, actually, they're wonderful. Because there's no, you know, if I said to you, you're wonderful, you might think, oh, is he buttering me up? Is it flattery? You know, he's trying to get something, whatever. But if I'm praising you, not in front of you, but to someone else, 
that's a really powerful thing. If it, if it gets back to you, you go, wow, they really think that of me, you know. And this is what Jesus did, and you see examples of this, that he uses words of affirmation to show love to people. Um, and, then, and then finally, um, gift giving. Jesus doesn't show up and, you know, gift giving with us. Jesus doesn't show up like with a box and a bow and like, here, and you're like, you got me a sweater, Jesus, thank you. How did you know, you know, or whatever. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't do that, but what we are told in the scripture is that Jesus' very presence is a gift from God. If you've not been part of a church your whole life, you still probably have heard John 3.16 at some point. Maybe, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. He cherishes us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to show up for us. And, in, and, and so to do that, he gave. He gave his only son. You think about this, this could say so many other things. For God so loved the world that he what? For God so loved the world that he cheered for us from a distance like a mostly sober little league dad, you know? Like God so loved the world, he's like, you guys are awesome. Take some cuts, son. Good job. Right? He could, God could do that. For God so loved the world that he, was just, that he got really excited about it. For God so loved the world that he bragged about us to all the angels. For God so, there's so many ways you could finish that sentence. But I think there's something very true in this about our human nature. For God so loved the world that he gave. When we love, we give. Generosity and love are connected. When you love someone, you give them something. This is why we buy engagement rings. Oh, I love this person so much. I'm going to buy her a ring. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Why does that make sense? I'm going to put a ring on it. That's what, you know, why, why does that make sense? Um, it just does. It just does. There's something about I love you. I want to give to you. I want to be as generous as I can towards you. That's, that's the way we are. It's very, it's very natural. Love is connected to generosity. But it goes even farther with the gift of Jesus to humanity because Jesus doesn't just show up and go, I'm an example for you. I'm a model for you. He is that. If you want to know how to talk, you could look at Jesus. If you want to know how to love your enemies, you could look at Jesus. If you want, you can, he is an example and a model of so many things, but he's more than that. If, if all God wanted to do was, here's Jesus, he's going to show you how to live a better life, that would be one thing. But it goes beyond that. He goes beyond just an example, and he goes to sacrifice, laying down his life for you. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says it's the highest form of love that you would sacrifice. Yes, you can physical touch. Yes, the acts of service, gift giving, all this. But when you take it to this final level of you're going to lay down your life for someone, that is that's ultimate, right? That's, that's huge. If I asked you to make a list of people you love, you could probably write it down. You could probably Evernote or something like, all right, let me, here's the people I love. And write that list. Now if I said to you, hey, make a list of the people you would take a bullet for, is it exactly the same list? I don't know. I love my aunt, but she said some weird things at Thanksgiving. She, I might have crossed her right off the list. She, is, she does not get a bullet now. I, or she can take her own bullet. I'm not taking, you know what I mean? Like, it may not be exactly the same list. When you put it in those terms, would I die for this person? 
I think that's a pretty short list, probably, right? So I think we know, even in, as we look at it in those terms, I think we know in, in sort of popular culture, we know that there's something just higher, there's a higher level when you lay down your life for someone. And Jesus doesn't say there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your, your spouse. He actually says it's for your friends. So there's, there's a powerful love there that can exist in friendship also. It's not just a, like a marriage or something like that. Um, there's something powerful when you sacrifice and you lay down your life for someone. And according to Scripture, you are the one that God would die for. You were on his list. This is what Jesus was about. He grew up and he died for your sin and for mine. Um, it's powerful love that God shows us, how much he cherishes us. Yes, he shows up and he uses all the five love languages to reach us, but he goes beyond that and, and he dies for us. So what should our response to that be? I always think about this at Christmas because Christmas can be such a consumer fest. And I understand our culture and I understand capitalism and I understand what it takes to make the machine run and all that kind of stuff. But it gets so like buy something, sell something, get this, gift giving, the whole thing. It gets, it gets nutty. And every year I'm like, I don't, I don't want that, I don't want that. How do we, how do we sidestep that? Let's not, let's not go crazy here. Um, every year, and I'm trying to figure out how do, we, how do we focus on the heart of Christmas? The heart of Christmas is Jesus was sent for us. Um, how, do we, how do we dial into that? And I got two things, and then we're done. Number one is this, cherish him. God has cherished you. God loves you. Flow that back and, and love him. And that can look all sorts of ways. I would say at minimum, on Christmas Day, a couple days from now, with whoever you're with, read Luke chapter two. Read about Jesus being born. Read what the thing is. Read what, what we're really about. Um, focus there and go, this is the way I'm going to love you, Lord, is, is, is I'm going to remember that this is Jesus' birthday, not mine. And, um, so, so, so put your focus there. Um, and, and with that, I would invite you, we're going to be here on Tuesday for Christmas Eve services at 3.30 and 5. Christmas is the Christ Mass. It's literally the celebration of Christ, the birth of Christ. Make it that, and don't make it the celebration of gift giving and all that. I mean, you give gifts, that's fine, but 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 Put, put, put your priority right and say, okay, I'm going to show up on Christmas Eve, and we're going to do this 3.30 and 5 o'clock here in the Burg. It's fun. The service is a little bit shorter, um, which, is that fun for you? I don't know. That's less fun for me. I don't know what y'all are doing, but um, it's good. We're going to have cookies, hot chocolate, all that. It'll be, it'll be a good time. It's, it's really a, an enjoyable time of year. People are uh, generally in a, in a pretty good mood, and so there's a good spirit to it. We'll sing together, um, and it's going to be uh, a really great thing, so, so join us there for for, for that on Christmas Eve, because that's a way that you can make it about what it really is about. It's a way to cherish uh, Jesus. So number one, cherish him. Um, I was thinking about Luke ch chapter two, after the, after the shepherds, uh, the shepherds hear from angels, and then they go to Joseph and Mary, and they find Jesus, and they tell Joseph and Mary, like, yeah, angels showed up in the sky, and they told us about your son, and this is incredible, and the Savior's been born in the town of David. Um, and listen to Mary's response, Luke chapter 2, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, as any mother would when someone shows up and says, your baby's amazing. Mary's like, wow, they think my baby, but it's more than that. It's not like, oh, he looks cute. I'm sure Jesus had that little blue blanket that all the kids get when you get, come home to the hospital, you know, with the stripes on it or whatever. He had that, and it's cute. Newborns sometimes look kind of weird anyway, so I don't know, maybe they, they said, all, oh, it's cute. Um, but it was more than that. And, and, and so Mary treasured these things. She cherished that moment. And that's what we need to do 
at Christmas, is cherish that thing. And then secondly, is to give generously. Love is connected to generosity. When you love something, you, you want to, to give. They always talk about, um, in, in our culture, we always talk about it at Christmas, it's the spirit of giving. It's the season of giving. This is the season to give. And maybe some of that's marketing. I get that. But one thing I do appreciate about Americans is that we're generally pretty generous uh, as a people. And you look at sort of charitable giving around, around the world. Uh, we are people who give. And I think that's a, a really cool thing uh, about our, our culture. Um, and so maybe... At, uh, for us, we need to think about this isn't just charitable giving. It's not just like, oh, it's the end of the year. I need to give to a nonprofit so I can give this year or something like that. Well, let's go beyond that. For Christians, we're giving because God has given to us. We're loving others because God has loved us. We're serving because God has first served us. Like we're, we're, we're pouring out what we have been given generously to those uh, who, who, who are in need. Um, and so, so, so we give. Let's let, let's give. I love God, and many of you do too. How do we show that? I'm not just going to sing a worship song. I'm not just going to pray. I'm not just going to read. I'm not just going to say, God, I love you. I want to take action with that. I read about a guy who wanted to show his wife that he loved her, so he decided to, for like two weeks, he was going to not tell her at all that he loves her. That was his strategy was, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to have to go do it. And so he got creative in different ways of showing his love for his wife, by, by, I'm not, I'm not going to allow myself to just use the words and think that's going to be enough. I'm going to have to go do something. Now, I'm not recommending that. Don't take a couple weeks off from telling someone you love them. Um, but I, I, I appreciate the, the, the challenge of, hey, not just lip service. You're going to have to ha- actually take action. Because um, love is not just something you feel. It's something we're called to do something with. Um, it's active. The, one of the reasons I appreciate what we do at Advent as a church, this year we are supporting the Brent family that's going to be moving to Turkey in 2020 uh, to share the gospel there and help people come to know Jesus in, in Istanbul and, and, and around. Um, what I love about that, that we're raising money for that as a church, that we're uh, trying to flow money differently at Christmas time towards something that's going to have eternal value. Um, I love that now in 11 years of history, I can point back to the things that we've done as a church. And, and really, when I remember Christmas, I think about those things. I think about the year we got a truck and we loaded it up for, for this village in Haiti to, for all sorts of stuff that they could either use or sell to kind of build out some things they were doing. I, I love that we raised money for clean drinking water at a village in Vietnam, um, that we renovated a house on the north side to provide affordable housing option for someone. Uh, we raised money for that. I love that we uh, done stuff with adoption and foster care last year. We did a, a big project around that and, and have and have served the city and DSS in various ways throughout the last year with that. Um, I, I, as I think of Christmas, I don't just think of what was opened in a box on a day of Christmas. I think of the whole Advent season. And my hope and prayer is that that will be in my kids as well, that they will remember these are the things that Christmas was when we were growing up. Um, I, you know, we're, we were talking about it in staff, our staff, church staff this week, uh, we were saying, what was the first Christmas present you remember getting as a kid? And I had to think back to my childhood, like, I don't remember many of the presents I got. I remember a set of golf clubs, and the first present I remember was um, uh, an AT-AT, an AT-AT, you know, from Empire Strikes Back, like the really good Star Wars movie. Um, 
that there was that walker thing. I got one of those as a kid. It was a big deal. My parents got it for me, and I remember I remember playing with that thing, thinking it was the coolest thing. You, the, the little lasers went like this with the with the you put the batteries in it, and it was cool. Um, but man, my parents got me a lot of other things that I don't remember years later, and they probably spent a lot of money on me. Um, sorry, mom. <laughs> um, so what I hope for my kids is not that they'll remember, oh, this is the year I got this thing or this thing, that they'll remember this is the impact that we were making around the world. This is why we were giving. This is the families that we were helping. This is, this is what Christmas was about in our home because it's too easy to value the wrong things. In Revelation chapter 3, there's a letter written to churches in, in the New Testament, and, and these churches actually are all in the country of modern-day Turkey. Um, there were some churches there in early Christianity, but not so much now. Um, and one of the letters written, it really struck me, um, it's, it's, it's challenging, and listen to what it says in Revelation 3 to this church. He's saying to them, he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And I thought, man, if, if, if you were going to write a letter to the church in America, this might be it. You would say, because we would say, hey, I, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, I'm good. I got 401k. I've got a, the economy strong. Um, I'm doing pretty well relative in the history of the world. Like things are good. And the challenge there was you don't get it. You're missing it. You're valuing the wrong things. You don't even realize you're blind and naked and poor. Like you, 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 you're rich in all the things that don't matter. Um, and that's challenging because we, we get it mixed up. We're valuing the wrong things. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, tells this parable you know, 100 plus years ago, he he would tell this parable of two robbers, and these two robbers break into um, a jewelry store at night, and they go in there, and instead of stealing all the jewelry, what they do is they take all the price tags off the jewelry, and they trade the price tags. And so they take the $10,000 necklace, and they put its price tag on like some $8 piece of costume jewelry, and they take the cheap jewelry, and they they take its price tag, and they put it on the expensive jewelry. And the next day when the store opens, and for a while after that, no one notices. They just go and they start selling the jewelry with all the wrong price tags on it. So people are in there buying $10,000 necklace, and they get it for eight bucks. Or they're, or they're, or they're spending $10,000 on something that's actually very cheap and useless. And it's kind of an interesting little parable, an idea that someone would come in and, and switch all the price tags. But at the end of it, he says this. My point is obvious, isn't it? The people of my day have no ability to tell the truly valuable from the virtually worthless, not just in commerce, but in the world of ideas, too. Our age is putting on a veritable clearance sale. Everything can be so dirt cheap that one begins to wonder whether, in the end, anyone will want to make a bid. Someone has changed the price tags on things in the world, and we end up valuing the things that aren't that valuable, and the things that really matter, we kind of blow them off or, or, or not valuing them maybe enough. One of the ways to know how much something is worth is to ask, well, how much is someone willing to pay for it? And the truth is, what we see at Christmas, and, and, and really through Easter, we see that what we are worth is that God was willing to pay an ultimate price for us, that he loves us so much that he gave and that he died for us. That's, that's, that's our true value. And so our response to that needs to be generosity, and it needs to be uh, and it needs to be to cherish him because he has cherished and loved us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, in this season of, of craziness, I, I pray we take, even in these next few days, time to pause and reflect and to think 
and to slow down and to remember what, uh, what it's about and what we're here for and, and, and why um, <coughs> and, and, and how you showed love to us. Um, God, thank you for the word becoming flesh and making its dwelling among us, that you, that you came down here to be with us and to, to show up. Um, thank you for that, Lord. Uh, may we cherish you and be generous with you in this season. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.